awesome. Thank you, Gabriel. Such a great story. Uh, just so, so sweet to hear how um, surrendering to Jesus impacted your life in such a big way. And that's quite cool, because we're actually going to talk about surrendering. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about surrendering tonight. We're in a series, uh, once I get this set up, uh, called Our Marks of Discipleship. And so as we're uh, meeting each week, we're talking about a different mark about what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and I'm so excited to just get to talk to you about this tonight. But first, I have to clarify something that Jared said. No, I did not get a haircut just to give a talk. I actually haven't got a haircut in a month, but I've had around five people today comment on my haircut that I have not gotten. So I don't know why that is. Oh, thank you. Cool. Well, yeah. Um, so actually, I just want to take us straight to the passage that we're going to look at tonight. Um, and so where we're where we're going to look at in the Bible tonight is in Romans 6, um, which if you want to use one of the blue Bibles that's on your table, they're, they're free for you to use, um, and it's on page 549 of that Bible. So I'll let you guys get there for a second. Yeah, so I'm just going to read this really quick. Even if you're getting there, um, you can just follow along as I say it, but it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? that grace may abound. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God." So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to, God, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you under, obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace." And so as we, even just as a quick, at a quick glance at this passage, you might be wondering, uh, are we actually talking about surrendering? Um, and we are. But what I want to focus on, because I think it'd be, it'd be easy to come up here maybe and, and give you a list of, of ways that you could surrender, um, ways that people have surrendered, what it looks like to surrender, and all of these things. And that might be helpful, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. But I think what's most important is that we look at why we can and should and want to surrender to Jesus. So rather than a list of hows, let's look at why. Um, and I think as we look at this passage, I think what it's showing us is that we do not understand what it means to be free, to be free of sin. And because of this misbelief or lack of understanding, we never can let go control of our, li of our lives and surrender to God. But Christ 
in this passage, we see that Christ has done everything for us to be free from sin. So to surrender to him requires only one thing from us, and that's to believe. And so I think that this passage does hold some truths for our lives, because I think it's far too easy to think about the idea of surrendering, and to think of surrendering as simply another thing to do, or a task to be completed. Uh, like, check, check this box. I gave up control of this one area of my life. Uh, I've now surrendered to God. Continue back to my life. Uh, and it's, and it's, I think it's really easy to talk about surrendering in this way of just, uh, I need to surrender this, I need to surrender this, um, and we, we lose why. Uh, and I think this passage, it really expands and challenges a view of surrendering to God like that. And I think that the truths in this passage will hopefully bring us closer, uh, maybe in our understanding, to what it looks like, um, or at least to show us why we resist uh, surrendering to God and giving up control. And so the danger of, of not listening to what this passage is saying is I think it's easy to find yourself in four years from now, most, uh, most of you guys will be out of college, maybe not everybody, um, some people are on the five, five to seven year track. Um, but it's easy in four years. You could look back at your time in college, and this is such a unique time, a unique time where you will make decisions, choices. You're going to choose your degree. You're probably going to meet a lot of people, make friends that will last a long time. And these choices and the things that you do in college, they're going to affect you for the next 40 years of your life, most likely. And you can say that's always true in your life, and sure, but I think it's unique while you're in college because um, you're kind of in a weird limbo state. And so I think it's a time where we should really look at what it looks like to surrender because if we don't, you're going to find yourself after college looking back on your time in college and just wondering why you didn't surrender to the Lord. And so if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're, you're checking things out, I, I just hope that through this you get a taste from tonight about what it looks like to be truly free in Christ. And if you are here and you are, not, and you are a Christian, I actually hope the same thing for you, that you're either reminded or maybe you're made aware of what it is to be free in Christ. Um, with that, I just want to open this up in some prayer. Father, I just thank you for this time to get to, to, get to spend some time in your word and talk about, about what you have done for us and how you have you have died, you have made it so that we can die to sin and be alive with you, Lord. And I just pray that as we look at these truths, that we understand um, that surrendering to you is, is not a burden or a difficulty, but rather surrendering to you, uh, that's the ultimate thing. And Father, I pray that, that we just sit in this uh, tonight and this week. And I pray, Father, I pray that you speak through me um, and that everyone here um, is able to take something away. Yes, these things in your name. Amen. And so I mentioned that maybe we don't understand what it means to be free, to, to be free of sin. And because of this misbelief, maybe this lack of understanding, we never let go of control of our lives. Uh, we kind of separate our, our normal lives from our spiritual lives, if you will. And I think, again, I just think it'd be easy to not sit and think about the why. Because, yeah, I've said that a lot, and I'm going to skip talk about it again. But tonight, I want to look at two different misbeliefs uh, that lead to our intense desire to control our lives. They keep us from surrendering because we won't give up control. And the first is a misbelief about ourselves, and the second is a misbelief about Jesus. And so the misbelief about ourselves is that we don't under, understand uh, the gravity of, of the sin in our life. 
And so before we look into this passage, uh, I think it's important to say what is leading up to this passage. And so far in Romans, um, we're seeing Paul paint this picture of Christianity that's really um, idyllic. It's, it shows us the best of Christianity. It shows grace. He talks about grace and how grace is free. Jesus has done something for you, and it's free. And he's being critiqued. He's being critiqued because what he's saying, people are saying, you're, you're talking about all of this. You're not telling people to do anything. You're just giving them some cheap grace that requires nothing of them. Uh, and, and so this, this chapter 6 uh, at least begins his response. And so his response to it in verse 1 is it says, Well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And so this is what we want to look at first is our sin. And so throughout this passage, one word stands out. Um, one word stands out, and it's more prominent than any other. Uh, and it's something along the lines of death, dead, or died. And it's actually in this, these 14 verses that I read. It's actually in those 14 verses 15 times, uh, this word. One more than the number of verses we're even looking at. And while this isn't a, a lovely or a fun word uh, to talk about, it's in here a lot, and it's important that we focus on it, which is why this whole first point is talking about our lack of comprehension of sin in our life. And the consequence of sin is death. And we're reminded of it 15 times in these 14 verses. And so in verses 1 through 5, I read the first one. In verses 2 through 5, it says, By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so our understanding of the consequence of sin is absolutely paramount. It's, it's like the most important thing that we must have to understand this passage. If you don't understand that the consequence of sin uh, is death, the rest of this passage, the rest of anything I say tonight will probably be lost. Um, and so what does it look like to have a weak view of the consequence of sin? To, to not view sin as that important or as that detrimental? Um, it, it could look along the lines of someone saying, I, I, was a bad, I, was, I was a bad person. I'm kind of a bad person. I, I've done a few things. I maybe I've messed up a few times, but I, I mean, I'm a human. Um, and I think maybe, maybe we look at sin as the consequence of sin is the specific way that it will uh, affect us in the world. So if I'm in a job and I, I don't know, I steal something from the job, my only wor I'm only worried about that because if I get caught, I'm going to get fired, right? So that's viewing the consequence of sin in the way that it affects us in this world. But that's not what Paul talks about at all. So what does this mean? He says to die to sin. And what does this mean? Because I think it's, at least the first time I heard this, I was confused. Um, because as I heard the phrase die to sin, all I thought of is he's saying once you're a Christian, you can't sin. Like, is he saying, oh, once you're a Christian, you're dead to sin. You can't do it. Um, you're perfect. And I, I was really confused by that, but that's not what he's saying at all. He's, he's not talking about an inability to sin, but rather he's talking about an inability to feel the consequence of sin, uh, which we'll look on that a little more. But even if, if you find yourself confused on that, he's not saying that to be Christian is to be perfect, is to be, is to be sinless, but rather the inability to feel the consequence of that sin. 
And so in the verses two through three, Paul is clearly denying the logic that to be a Christian uh, means one is, is able to sin more. Because that's, that's what people are saying. They're saying, oh, you're a Christian. You're saying Christians should sin more because they have grace. The more they sin, the more grace they experience. The worse they are, the more grace they experience. The more that they put anything above God, the more grace they experience. And what's interesting is that first glance, I think that logic is kind of sound based off a lot of what he says. Because he doesn't, he doesn't wrap up what Jesus has done for us. He doesn't wrap it up by saying, Jesus has, has taken on the weight of your sin. He has, he has died for your sin. He rose from the dead for, for your sin. He, he's done all those things, and now you must do this to earn it. He never says that. And so I think logically you could think that. Uh, man, if, I, if I'm a Christian, that just means sin more, more grace. But that's not, that's not what Paul's saying at all. And what Paul, would, what Paul would, I think, would say is that that's, that's a complete misunderstanding, a misbelief about the consequence of sin. For someone to, to be in Christ is to realize that sin, the result of sin is death. The result of sin separates us from God eternally. That someone cannot be in relationship with God and have sin in their life. And so to be buried with him uh, means that we have experienced the death and consequence of our sin through Christ. He died for us. He took it on for us, and we, were, we died with him in that. And so the second misbelief, the first misbelief, is maybe about ourselves, about our lack of understanding of sin. And right now we're maybe sitting a little heavy because I've said the word death a ton. But the second misbelief is about Christ. And I think this misbelief will sit on a little longer, but I think the misbelief is that he's not worth surrendering to. For whatever reason, you don't see Jesus as someone worth surrendering to. I don't see Jesus as someone worth surrendering to. And often, I think Christianity can be portrayed as a means to an end. People talk about Christianity in terms of, oh, accept Jesus into your hearts, and if you do that, you can, you can go to heaven when you die. We're, there's a weird limbo stage but between accepting him uh, and then you go to heaven, in there, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's a means to an end. You accept him into your heart so you can get to heaven. And I think a lot of times, I, I even myself have portrayed Christianity this way. I've heard it a ton. Um, and it's a hobby. If we, if we look at Christianity like that, it's a hobby and it misses the whole point. It, it misses the point of, of the result of sin is death by a lot, long shot, but also shows Christian is a hobby in our life. And so for you guys, if you think about what, it, what does a hobby look like, um, I don't know, for me, I find a hobby, I, I like to think a hobby is something that I like, get good at and, and do quite a bit. Really, a hobby is something that you do when you have free time. Um, so if you have a free weekend and you're bored, that's what you do is your hobby. Um, maybe a little more priority depending on what your hobby is, but it's not that big. And this, this week, Christianity is that. It, it's a hobby. It doesn't believe Christ is worth surrendering into because all we do is talk about the goal of Christianity is, is heaven and that's it. We're talk, I think there's so much more to that. And so as we're talking about the mark of a disciple of Christ being surrender, <laughs> that view leaves little room for true surrender. That this mindset typically results in a service of God if it's convenient. If, if, I get, if I get the degree that I want, if I get the job that I want, if I get the promotion that I want, um, if I get the grades that I want, then I will serve the Lord. Um, but until then, I, I'm going to focus on getting those things because I want them. 
helps me in pursuit of my own goals, maybe, but that's about it. And so if surrender means giving up control of my life to God, I talked about the misbelief is that we don't believe Jesus is worth surrendering to. And so if surrender means giving up control of my life to God, we need to think that he is worth surrendering to. That living in Christ now, um, that moves Christianity from from a hobby to a lifestyle. A lifestyle means instead of doing it when, you're, when it's free time, doing your hobby when you're bored uh, over the weekend, a lifestyle means that you're, you're, that, that's your work day. That's, your, that's what you do at night. That's what you do when you're bored, but it's also what you do um, when you're busy. It's a lifestyle. And so this passage shows the difference, I think, between those two mindsets. Um, as a hobby, uh, there's a lot of space for sin to abound, for this accusation to be accurate. Um, but not as a lifestyle. And so I think, I think maybe all this may stem from a misunderstanding of verse 7, uh, which says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. And so what does it mean to be free from sin? And I talked about this a little earlier, but often um, we define free or freedom, um, and we hear this word a ton in our, in our lives here, as, as the, it's the ability to make my own decisions, Freedom for me means that I can do what I want. Uh, that's freedom. But that's not, that's not what the Bible defines as freedom. In verse 7, it says, again, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Free means there is no more payment required for your sin. To be free of sin means you are free of the consequence of sin. And so as Jesus has died for your sins, he took that on for you because the consequence was there. And then you, as it said, were buried with him. Now you rise with him. And so you're free of the consequence of sin because that has already been paid. And so as we think about freedom, in terms of the Bible at least, freedom doesn't mean this idea of just make the decisions I want to make. But to be free of sin in your life is you're free of the consequence. You're free of the fear of sin. You're free of of anything related to how you're worried about sin affecting you because you're in Christ, that consequence has been paid. You get to be with God. But how often do we live like this? That's, that's the question here. That's how this relates to surrender, is how often do we actually live like this is true for us now? How often do we find ourselves in fear of sin, right? Worrying about the consequence of sin, um, or overall, as the Bible says in a, in a few different places, a slave to it, a slave to our sin. And so when we think this way, we're, we're diminishing what Jesus has done for us on the cross. When we think that his payment does not free us from sin, that what Jesus has done is, is just not good enough to free us from sin, we diminish everything that he has done. We're saying that him coming down, him dying on the cross, that that is not enough. That's not good enough, Jesus. I need to do more. I need to, I need to live this certain way. I need to act this certain, this certain way because what you have done is not enough. And, and it may feel, I don't know, weird to say it that way, but that's our mindset. If we, any time where we think we have to take uh, matters into our own hands when it comes to sin, um, we're saying that his payment was not enough. And so how does this now translate to the idea of, of surrendering? Well, why would we surrender to Jesus when we don't think that he has done everything to pay for our sin? 
Uh, that, Jesus, that Jesus is not worth surrendering to. A Jesus who, who he hasn't done these things. He hasn't taken the consequence of sin. We're not free from sin. We still owe uh, death. We're still separated from God. If that's the case, that Jesus is not worth surrendering to. And, and if we are still under the impression that we still need to do certain things, act a certain way, uh, live this certain picture of a life that maybe we've seen or been told we must live, then we can never give up control of our lives and surrender to Jesus. Because uh, at worst, I think, we're going to be in pursuit of what we want to do. We're going to, I need to get this job, uh, I need to get this job this summer so that then I can get this better job later so I get this internship, so I get my promotion. So by the time I graduate, I'm making my 60K and I'm good. Um, I think that's like the worst case scenario. But best case, and what, what I found myself being a lot, and best case isn't even great for it because it's also worst case. You find yourself, um, you can't give up control of your life because you're trying to live a life that you've seen lived by someone else. Someone else has said they're a Christian and maybe, maybe, man, the Lord has worked in their life. And so you just, you're replicating it. You look at their life and you think, yeah, I'm going to live like that. And you're not even giving control to Jesus. All you're doing is just trying to control your life in the way of this person. And you miss the point. And the point is that Jesus has done everything for us. There is no payment for sin for those who believe in what he's done. And again, I just think, as we think about surrendering our lives, giving up control of, of either the small things, the big things, everything in the middle to Jesus. A Jesus who, who hasn't paid the consequence of sin. Um, I, think, I think maybe even Aspen mentioned it last week. That's a, that's a junior varsity Jesus. That Jesus is not the one that we see in the Bible. That's not the one who, who, has cruci- who was crucified for us. That's not that Jesus. But now we can look at the real, true Jesus, who is so much more. We have, we have died with Christ so that we can live with him. So the real Jesus, this Jesus is worth surrendering to and giving control of our lives to. We have, we have died with him, as it says, uh, I think in verse 4, which means we will also live with him. He cares about us so much that he wants us, he wants us to be free of sin, free of the burden of sin, that he made that happen. We're, we're free of the consequence of sin. But the question is, do we actually believe that we're free of the burden of sin? Do we actually believe that? Do we actually think Jesus has conquered sin and that we're free of that? The real Jesus has died with us so that his grace can abound all around us. And if you find yourself, again, thinking like they were, they do, with this idea of, well, that's just telling me to sin more so I can have more grace. Well, I think maybe you should spend some time looking at your life, and I, I think maybe you'll find that you, you actually do sin a lot. And to think that you, you want to sin more um, is, is a little terrifying, because as I've, I've heard many times from random people, and I don't know where it comes from, um, for, for my best friend to look at my life, I am far more sinful than he will ever know. Uh, but for God to look at my life, um, I'm, I'm far more sinful uh, than I will ever know. And, and so if you find yourself in this, in this idea of you're just telling me to sin more, maybe, maybe you actually don't think there's much sin in your life. And, and I think this disagrees with that. I think we're full of it. But when we say that he has freed us from sin, 
That includes the endless pursuit of ourselves, trying to satisfy ourselves uh, with our job, our family, our relationships, our money, our future. Uh, maybe we continue to hold on to uh, control of those, and maybe we achieve them. And, and maybe you're good at it, uh, controlling your life. But in the end, what, what will you be left with? If those are taken away at some point, what will you be left with? If you, if you continue to chase after whatever you're, you're pursuing, uh, if you find that, you obtain it, what happens to you when that gets taken away? What are you left with? Now you're left with the burden of trying to get them back. Or even if they don't get taken away, I guess you're, you're left with the burden of keeping them. Uh, and that's not freedom. That's just a bigger burden. Jesus has died so that we can be free of sin, free of the pursuit of satisfying ourselves, uh, because we can find full satisfaction in him. And so as verse 11 says, um, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We can consider ourselves dead to sin, dead to the consequence of sin, and we are made alive in Christ Jesus. So you may, you may tend to think of surrendering as a, as a miserable thing that I must do for Christ, uh, but you have it all wrong if that's what you're thinking. If you view surrender as this, this horrible task, this thing that I don't want to do, well, then you have it all wrong. Because those who are in Christ, they actually have the ability to surrender to Christ, to give up control to Christ, for Christ, and to experience true freedom in Christ. And so it's not a burden, it's a blessing. But so often when I, when I hear, even just hear the word about, of surrender talked, mention, some great grammar in that sentence, when I hear surrender mentioned, I hear it so often with, accompanied with a sigh. Surrender. Cool. That sucks. I don't want to do it. Why should I have to do that? But you're viewing it as, as some, a miserable task when it's a blessing. Uh, and so in this case, surrendering is not a burden or unrunned responsibility, but rather a blessing to be able to surrender to someone worth surrendering to. Because if, if we think that we don't, we, we don't want to surrender to anyone, you're still at best just trying to keep control of your own life. And I, yeah, that's not easy. I'm not saying also that surrender is easy. Uh, I don't want you to, I'm not undervaluing how difficult it can be to surrender things, to surrender your, your summer, to surrender a degree, to surrender just your day-to-day -day time. Um, I'm not saying that's easy. It takes a huge step of faith. But what I'm saying is that it should be viewed as a blessing and not something that seems horrible. Um, and if, if you find yourself, again, like not as, a, not as a slam, but as an encouragement, if you find yourself thinking uh, that surrender is just a miserable, unwanted task, then maybe you're not viewing our life with Christ, our life now as actually living with Christ. Maybe you have that view of, of Christianity as, as maybe about heaven, but not about now. And so the misbelief that we are talking about here is that Christ is not enough. And I think another way that that can take hold is that we don't want to believe that Christ has conquered sin. And we see that in these verse, verses 9 through 11. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God so that you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Sin has no dominion, no control, no authority over Christ. It says he died and will never die again. And we are with Christ. So by extension, sin has none of those things, no dominion, no control, no authority over us either. It just simply doesn't. Christ has paid the penalty. When we think about what it means to be free of sin, if, if we constantly view sin, uh, like sure, we, we have to pay the consequence of sin from the world. Yes, that's true. But again, I think we, oftentimes that's all we view of sin, right? The consequence of sin, going back to what I started with, is death, but Christ paid that penalty. Therefore, there is nothing we must or even can do to add to sacrifice. And so I just wanted to read uh, a passage that felt similar. Um, You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to flip there. It's in Hebrews 10. Um, And I feel like this passage, it talks about some similar things. And so I wanted to go through it, but it says, uh, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin." And so the reason I wanted to, to point us to that is, is I want us to think about how do we try to sacrifice for our sins? That passage talks about, maybe, maybe some of that gets lost. It talks about a priest trying to offer sacrifices for people's sins. And, and if you're anything, if you're like me, I, I'm like, I don't, I don't do that. That passage isn't talking about me. I don't have a priest offering sacrifices for my sin. Um, but maybe, maybe I propose to you that you're acting as the priest, trying to offer your own sacrifices to God for your sin. And so maybe as you do things in your life, you, you sin, you feel bad about it, and therefore you think, man, I, I need to do this to God. I need to do this. I need to do this to make up for it. And all of this, maybe, maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good mindset. That's a healthy mindset. But, but this is saying that that sacrifice that Christ made was once and for all It was the all-time sacrifice. And when we try to add sacrifices to it for our sin, we're diminishing what he's done. We're saying what Jesus has done is not enough and we need to do more. And so I ask you, what do you you try to do to earn your your way back to Christ when when you sin? Or how do you try to reposition yourself in the favor of Christ when you sin? Well, as you think about that, just remember that all of that stems from a lack of belief that what Christ has done for us is enough. And with that, with that belief comes the need for control of our lives. We must act a certain way. We must do a certain thing. And if we think this way, even if we, if, if we view them as good things that we must do, we still aren't giving up control to Jesus and surrendering our lives to Jesus because uh, we don't give him space to do so. And so finally, I want to talk about what, what should we do with this. Uh, we've spent a bulk of our time, we looked at two misbeliefs. The misbelief of ourselves, of sin, the consequence of sin, and the misbelief of Jesus, that what he's done is enough for us. And, and I, think, 
I think that as we wrap up tonight, I want to look at, at the end of this passage, verses 12 through 14, um, and leave us with some challenges even. And so verses 12 through 14, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present, yourselves, uh, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but are under grace. So again, we have spent a lot of tonight talking about our freedom from sin. And so now we can look at these last three verses. We get to respond. And so as Paul moves from, from everything he said in verse six, or chapter 6 to action in verse 12, um, he, says, he says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. And so we hopefully, hopefully have an, at least a little bit of an understanding by now of how we have been buried with Christ, made alive with him. And so now Paul is beginning with clear instruction. He's saying, stop. Stop letting sin reign in your body. You are free from it. So stop letting it have control. And he's not saying this in just a... I, th- I think a lot of times people say stop. It's really unhelpful. Um, like someone's doing something and they're struggling with it and someone says, stop that. Um, and it just, if anything, it just makes you mad. Um, and that's not what he's doing. He's speaking to those who are in Christ who are, they're claiming to be drowning in sin. Um, they're saying, I'm, I'm drowning in my sin. But, but the problem is that they aren't. Their, their consequence for sin has already been paid. They aren't drowning in their sin. It, an example, I don't know if this is a great one, um, but like let's say I get a phone call from my friend. I'm like hanging out in my house, and let's say there's a pool in the backyard, which it doesn't, but let's say there is. <laughs> and I'm, I'm in there, and I get a call. I get a call from my friend. And he says, I'm drowning. He says, I'm drowning. In the, I'm in the water, and I'm drowning in the, in the pool. It's a little weird that he's calling me, but let's say he's doing that. <laughs> and so I come out there and I, I run out there to, to see what's going on. And I get out there and he's sitting in a chair next to the pool. He's not drowning. He's not even in the water. And as we think about our sin, we, we have drowned. Christ has, has saved us after that. And now we're sitting on the side of the pool, but yet we, we think that we're still in the pool, that we still have to, we're still stuck in our sin, we're still going to drown in our sin, but we're sitting on the side of the pool. We, in that context, that's what Paul's saying. He's like, this is true of you. If you're in Christ, you're not in that. You're sitting on the side. And so he's saying, stop thinking you're in the water because you're not. And so Paul is calling on us to realize the reality uh, and the gravity of what Christ has done for us and to start living that truth out. So second, he, he calls us to present our members to God. Uh, present, what is, how does he say it? But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Uh, yeah, there we go. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Like, what the heck does that mean, instruments for righteousness? It means our body. What are we gonna do with our body. Uh, and it, it's interesting, in some translations, instead of instruments, it actually says weapons. Um, Christ, Christ has done everything for us. He's, we're free from sin. And so what Paul wants to leave us with 
is, is what, do you, what do you want to do with that? Do you want to continue serving the unrighteous things, letting your body just be riddled by your fear of sin and unrighteousness, right? Or do you want to live uh, in service of God, right? Do you want to live in service of sin or do you want to live in service of God? And this opens up a whole new realm and world of possibilities of how we could give up control and surrender to God, which I think is unique to all of us in a lot of ways. Um, but I'll challenge you that, that there are ways that you can surrender to God, both in long-term, but also presently. If you, if you find yourself thinking there's a lack of ways to surrender to the Lord, there are plenty. Um, yeah, and I'd love to talk about them with you too, even if you want. But finally, Paul reminds us of how any and all of this is possible. And so he finishes with verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but are under grace. Sin is absolutely powerless to those who are in Christ. And this point wraps us up with reminding us about that. Sin has no control, has no dominion. We're not under the law, we're needing to act or do certain things, but rather we're under grace, bound up with Christ, no longer slaves to sin. And so it's because of these truths that we're able uh, to surrender that we can now give up control of our life to God. And so for those of you who are here and, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I, I just want to challenge you um, to think about, about what it looks like to live in true freedom, about what this picture of freedom from sin looks like. And hopefully you got a little bit of a, pace, a taste of what it looks like. And for those of you who are here and are a Christian, I hope that you take time to analyze what you are misbelieving, either about yourself, your sin, about Jesus, and as you remind yourself, you are then free to give up control and surrender your, cry, your life to Jesus. Um, I'm going to pray. Father, Jesus, I just thank you for what you have done, for, for dying for our sins, Lord, when we deserve to, for taking that on and you bound us with you so that we died with you, we, ra- we arose from the dead with you, Lord. And we get to be in relationship with you now. We get to let these things affect our lives, um, both now um, and for the rest of our lives. And I pray that as we head into our week, Lord, we let these truths um, sit, sit deeply with us and that we're able to let them change and transform us so that we can surrender. Uh, we realize that we can surrender to you. Uh, Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen.